everyone once again to another episode of the Best of All Possible Podcast. Presented by Panglossian Productions. And you know, we here in Williamsburg, Virginia at Panglossian Productions love the weird. We love the unproduced, the under the underproduced. Did I say unproduced and then underproduced? That's what I meant to say. Okay. We love both of those things, but more to the point, we love 10-minute plays. I am your host, Robert Weathers, and we are here to read for you a brand new 10-minute play. Here to assist me uh, in this reading today is none other than returning guest, James Jim Dwyer. Welcome Hello. back, Jim. Hello. Hello. So, uh, Jim, uh, this is the part of the show where I ask you a question that's tangentially related to the play that we're about to read. Okay. So I'm going to ask you this. Do you have a catchphrase? I do not have, um, uh, well, uh, maybe um, you open the door and the flies swarm in, you close the door and you sweat again. Is it too long? No, no. <laughs> I, uh, I think... Uh, too depressing? <laughs> I think that it's just right. So what, wait, hold on a minute. What, what sort of context do you use that in? <laughs> Whenever there's a, a paradox, a catch-22, you can't win. Sort of oh, situation. I see. I see. All right. Yeah. Life sucks. Great. <laughs> That's, you know what? I'll, I'll tell you what. Uh, I, I know that you're a dad. And uh, my, my father, he had all sorts of... Had. He's still alive. He, uh, he has all sorts of phrases that he uses. And actually, earlier today, I was talking about one that he used with me. And it's along the same lines of... You know, put a monkey in a room with a typewriter and you get Shakespeare. Uh, his phrase was, every once in a while, the sun shines even on a dog's ass. Jim's nodding thoughtfully. Well, I'm glad. <laughs> clever and philosophical. <laughs> we, are from, Southern, we are from the deep south. <laughs> uh, here with me also is Joseph Joe Ziarku. Welcome back, Joe. Cheese it, it's the fuzz. Cheese it, it's the fuzz. Is that, is that what you were looking for? I feel like you just combine Bender from Futurama with a 70s phrase that you've never used in your life. The fuzz. <laughs> uh, no, I, 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 don't, I do not believe I have a catchphrase if you were going to ask me. I, I mean, I was, but, uh, you know, I'm the host, that's fine, whatever, do what you want. Glad we could get it. Let's talk about what you want to talk about, Jeff. <laughs> How's your beer? Uh... It's great. That's awesome. Thank you. We're moving on. So, uh, Joe, uh, today we're going to read a play called Sounds Like a Plan by Chris Holbrook. Now, this is a cold reading for you uh, listeners at home who may not have listened to this before. Uh, Jim and Joe have never read this play before, and something a little different is going to happen today than usually happens, and that is that I'm going to not only be reading the stage directions like I normally do, but I'm going to be reading two other parts in this play. Uh, and the reason is pretty simple for that, is that we had somebody scheduled to read who got sick and is not here. So I was just going to read the offstage voice and the directions. But it will be clear with the play, I am sure. I'm, I'm really uh, looking forward to seeing your range in this. Usually yes. you're just the host. Now you're not just one character, but two. Yeah, I, I mean, my vocal range is pretty good too. Are you going to do an accent for one and a different accent for the other? I think I'll do my British accent for because one. I, I know we're not allowed to ask anything going into this, but I do have one very pressing curi uh, important curiosity. 
because the address here for Chris Holbrook is in France. Is this play all in French? It is. You, you, you figured it out. So French with a British accent. Uh, all right. Go. Excellent. So, uh, Sounds Like a Plan by Chris Holbrook. There are three characters in the play uh, and then uh, one offstage character. So the character that I will read is Winfrey. He's described as a male, any adult age over 30, knows the system, a gregarious barfly before he got locked up. Joe, I would like for you to read Elliot. Male, younger than Winfried, uh, tries to play by the rules without knowing what the rules are. And Jim, I'd like for you to read the part of Yates. He's male, lawyer, stiff upper lip, the consummate professional, bred from the earliest age to be what he is today. Our setting is in a jail cell, cell anywhere in the future. The way too far, very distant future. The synopsis being, uh, and I'm reading this because uh, it's been written out for us. In the all too distant future, two prisoners await their fate for a heinous crime. An assault on the English language. <clears throat> Sounds like a plan. Two prisoners behind bars looking like they are on their way to a board meeting. Suits, ties, polished shoes, ready for that board meeting. Winfried is fast asleep, snoring. Elliot is looking out, lost, a cat that has just been electrocuted. Slowly, Winfried opens his eyes, stretches, kicks the blood back up into in, excuse me, kicks the blood back into his legs and stands up. Ah, I slept like a baby. How about you? Nothing from Elliot who might as well be a statue. Like a log, like a top, like a- I didn't sleep a wink. No, you don't say. My heart goes out to you. What seemed to be the problem? You're snoring, if you want to know. He looks at him. My snoring? Very interesting. Tell me, how was it? How was what? The snoring. Snoring is snoring. Okay, but- was it like the roar of an airplane engine? Winfred mimics the roar of an airplane engine. Or was oops, sorry. Or was it more like a rustling of autumn leaves? Blank looks from Elliot. Well, which one was it? Uh, the roar of a 747 or the rustling of autumn leaves? Would you put a lid on it? A lid on it, you say? A sock in it too, if you don't mind. I see. You want me to put it where the sun don't shine? Exactly. I'm just trying to kill a few hours. I don't want you to kill anything, okay? What do you want? I just want to sit here and wait for my lawyer, who should have been here already ten minutes ago. Furious looks from Elliot. A lawyer won't help you. And how do you know that? Cat's premonition? You better help me. He cost me an arm and a leg. Mine was a Pulitzer Prize winner. Look where I am now. Your lawyer was a Pulitzer Prize winner? Sure. They're automatically assigned to death row cases. You were on death row? Sure. Proud of it. What did you do, if you don't mind me asking? What you, what you did, more or less. But I didn't do anything. Exactly. And you're proud of doing nothing. Exactly! Elliot's sorting through this. But if you're on death row, you did something. I just told you. I'm like you. I didn't do anything. Hey, stop comparing me with you. We're cut from the same cloth, you and I. You know, you're really starting to get under my skin. 
Thank you. That wasn't a compliment. I like you too. I don't like you at all. We're like two peas in a pod, you and I. We are not at all like two peas in a pod. Ozzy and Harriet. Peanut butter and jelly. Sunny and Cher. You and I are not Sunny and Cher. We're goddamn oil and water, you and I. Winifred, Winifred smiles broadly. Really? Oil and water. Apples, Go on. Apples and oranges. Felix and Unger. Yes, tell me more. The sun and the moon. Tom and Jerry, Los Angeles and New York. <laughs> I like it. Keep it going. Fire and ice. War and peace. The Hatfields and the McCoys. The Bush and Clintons. The Grangerfords and the Shepherdsons. The Grangerfords and the Shepherdsons. I like it. Where'd you pick up that? <whistles> Would you two knock it off? Your lawyer's here. Lawyer? Yes, now shut the hell up. We hear the cell doors opening and closing, and then Yates, refined, of a different pedigree, approaches. Well, if it isn't Yates in the flesh. My name is not Yates. Sure it is. That's all you quoted at the defense of my buddy. An hour's worth of Yates. The verdict was innocent, wasn't it? Yes, and my hat's off to you. I could have used some Yates at my trial, I tell you. My lawyer quoted nothing but Wordsworth in front of a jury that hadn't been outdoors since they were beat up at recess. Now, how is the habeas, Mike habeas corpus looking? Any light at the end of the tunnel? I'm not here for you. I'm here to see Mr. Elliot Lackman. Your sight for sore eyes, let me tell you. All right, now that's enough out of both of you. Enough of what? Doing the exact thing that got you in here. But that's what I don't understand. Would someone please tell me, what am I doing here? Winfried and Yates exchange looks. He doesn't know. The guy's head is in the clouds. Okay, Mr. Lackman. How do you want to plead this? Plead? Yeah. Guilty or innocent. Well, I'm innocent, of course. I see. <laughs> Now, Mr. Lackman, may I take this opportunity to remind you that the authorities captured everything on tape, and there are at least 15 eyewitnesses, half of whom are police officers with an average of 30 years of service. Eyewitnesses to what? I told you this guy is whistling in the dark. All right, Mr. Lackman. I want you to take me through the events of the evening of August 22nd. August 22nd? Yeah. I think I was reading a Michael Connolly novel on the sofa. Michael Connolly? He is strictly forbidden in this country. I know, but, but a guy I know. He said that if I give him some Dan Brown and some James Patterson, he'll... I don't want to hear it. He's correcting his papers. My penmanship here. I meant August 23rd. Uh, August 23rd? Uh, Nothing, really. The record states that you drove to a gas station. Is that correct? Sure. That, that's right. I, I was buying gas, or trying to buy gas, but the machine didn't take my credit cards, so I went into the store. Yes. Go on. I asked about it. And this guy at the counter, he, he said that the credit card machines didn't work. So I should leave $20 as a deposit, and if I take more, I should come back in the store and pay it. So far, very good. Well, I, I said, okay, and I walked out and started to fill up my car. 
Next thing I knew, there were eight state troopers around me pointing their guns at me. I see. Now, when you said, you said, okay, can you tell me, were those the exact words you said? Yeah, fine, or sure, or something along those lines. Mr. Lackman, that is not at all what you said. Oh, no? What did I say? Please, tell me, what, what did I say? Yates looked down at the piece of paper, looks up at Elliot, and then shakes his head. I can't say it. He gives it to Winfried. Could you... With pleasure. Oh, boy. A cop, a cop knocked me out cold one time when he caught me saying this. What is it? One of you, what did I say? There you were in the gas station. Capable of just saying the affirmative, a simple yes, or okay, or all right. But you said... Hold on. Yates puts his hands to his ears before motioning that it's safe to go on. What? Sounds like a plan. Yates very cautiously uncovers his ears. It's safe. I said, sounds like a plan. Ah! Violation of code number 468934, section 2, 8th paragraph. I'm sorry? You know that was one of the cliches the new president campaigned on getting rid of. I, I know. I voted for him. Why would you say it? I don't know. It, it just came out. But please, I'm telling you, it, it, it was just one time. One time? Mr. Lackman, you have uttered 17 and a half cliches since I've gotten here. Moreover, the record shows that you've spent the last 20 years in and out of the system. Nobody's perfect. We all have our bad days. Looks from Yates makes it clear that Elliot isn't helping his cause. One bad apple shouldn't spoil the whole bunch. Mr. Lackman, please. In court tomorrow, I need you to speak plainly and clearly. And above all, I need you to avoid the same horrible, tired, Lazy English that got you in here. Yates, you can't teach a new, an old dog new tricks. Maybe not you. But I think Mr. Lackman can abstain from code violations for one hearing. That's a castle in Spain. I'm serious. Yeah, as an owl. As a what? An owl. I've never heard that one. It was a code violation back in the last century. So... Mr. Lightman, tomorrow morning at the hearing, do you think you can change your, uh... Tune? Mm. Thank you. I need 20 minutes of cliche-free English with the judge tomorrow. Nothing is more certain than death and taxes. I just have to keep my eyes on the prize. I, I told you, you can't do it! Otherwise, a few cliches like those, and the judge is going to give you a life sentence with your friend here. Oh, please, please, I I'm sorry. It it's just, I know I say these horrible cliches, but I don't realize that I'm saying them. Do you think, I don't know, maybe the judge could throw me some rope, cut me some slap, give me a break. Tell you what I do with desperate cases. He pulls out a mammoth tome. Take this book. Read it. What is it? Shakespeare. Didn't he lose the election? No. 
Shakespeare is dead. It's the billionaire playwright who barely lost. I voted for the guy who offered a full refund if he used iambic pentameter on this year's tax forms. Take it. Read it. You'll see that Shakespeare used language in his own way. He invented words and phrases. He drew on his own intelligence and wit to find colors in the language that nobody had seen before. He thought for himself, and he developed his own unique way of expressing himself. And that is exactly what you should do at your hearing tomorrow. Okay, I'll take it and read it and make you proud tomorrow. Excellent. I'm going to turn over a new leaf. Mr. Lackman! I'm sorry, uh, I mean... I know what you meant. Just take the book and study it hard for tomorrow. Maybe you can recite a few words to the judge. It might soften him up when you plead guilty. Guilty? Yes, Mr. Lackman. You're as guilty as... Sin. Mr. Yates. I'm sorry. I've got another client waiting. I'll see you tomorrow, Mr. Lackman. Enjoy your evening. It might be your last before they send you to solitary confinement. Yates exits. There's a long silence. My lawyer gave me Coleridge. Didn't help a whit. You think Shakespeare's different? No. I think he is. Coleridge, well, he's not everybody's cup of tea, but Shakespeare, he's the cat's meow for everyone, especially politicians. Politicians. How times have changed. Used to be we had presidents who couldn't put together a full sentence. Oh, those were the days. <laughs> Winifred is thumbing through the book. Oh, yes, this is a good one. Um, to be or not to be. Kind of catchy, don't you think? To be or not to be, that is the question. Oh, what, what about this? Um, this is the winter of our discontent. <laughs> you should start with that tomorrow. Judge, I want you to know, this is the winter of our discontent. <laughs> Elliot grabs the book. What about, uh, what about, get this, uh, this is really good. Brevity is the soul of wit. I like that. Maybe that is what uh, Yates is getting at. I'll tell you what, I've got an idea. How about I scratch your back and you scratch mine? How do you mean? Well, we'll stay up all night. Get these juicy lines down pat. You recite them tomorrow before the judge, and then, once you're free... You send me some of those Michael Connolly books you were, and the lawyer were talking about. Michael Connolly? Didn't you hear Yates? Michael Connolly books are completely illegal now. That's why I want them. What about a little Sue Grafton or Michael Crichton? No, no. I've, I've got all of them. I want the Connolly. I don't know. I could wind up back here if I... Elliot, it's Michael Connolly. Colony. Connolly. Michael Connolly or your freedom. Now come on, let's memorize these Shakespeare zingers and get you out of here scot-free. Scot-free, you say? Yeah! Free as a bird, high as a kite, light as a feather, happy as a clam, like a bee in a clover. My good man, Winfred, that sounds like a plan. Blackout. The end. All right. <laughs> Nicely done, gentlemen. Uh, so I... Uh, now we're going to enter into the part of the podcast where we have a brief discussion about the play that we just read. And I want to start with this question. Now, this is a really broad question, so feel free to have a little fun with it. Uh, did we miss 
Any colloquialisms in there? <laughs> any commonly used phrases that uh, maybe as you were getting into it and realizing what was going on? Oh, beats me. Beats me. Yeah, yeah that's a good one. It's good. Joe's looking at the ceiling. Pressure's on, Joe. <laughs> Lights on. I'm afraid I would have been bar far better as the uh, lawyer in this instance. Can't beat the system. Can't fight City Hall. Yeah, I can't oh. fight City Hall. That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. I, so, you know, uh, along those same jokes. lines with these, uh, with these phrases, what exactly is the crime that's, that has been committed here? It, I, I have an idea of what I think it is, and I'll, I'll say it. I think that the, the crime is being unoriginal in your speech unoriginal in your use of the English language any thoughts on that this is an off author with a beef <laughs> hanging out on social media and getting angry oh yeah <laughs> no I, I I really think it, it's kind of cueing in that that repetition that I think the social media is actually a pretty good call out because now we have catchphrases that aren't even words. They might just be letters. They might just mm -hmm. be emojis. But I also like bringing in Shakespeare for that because Shakespeare's also kind of the king of the cliche now and was at the time, you know, lauded for his originality and kind of really makes you question, well, where is the line then? A clever turn of phrase that catches on. Turn of and, phrase. And, Turn it first. Yep. There we go. <laughs> um, and and just you know, mindless repetition. Because if you create something that others want to imitate, you're contributing to the problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you are. It, it, it is kind of it is kind of funny, ironic that he gives him a book of, of Shakespeare uh, with so many of those phrases, and he even starts with the most common and you know common and overused ones. It's so far that it's even in Billy Madison, right? Yes. In the Adam Sandler movie, <laughs> Billy Madison. You know, to be or not to be. Uh, that is the question, etc. I'm afraid to say any more now because people might take off of anything I utter. <laughs> the, the purpose of Jim's silence is to not inspire any future repeaters. That's right. it's far no. too clever, I'm sure. <laughs> that's good. That's that's what I have to say about that. It's good. <laughs> so, uh, so gentlemen, what do you think here? You know, uh, when you have so many. Uh, Cliche, you know, trite, you know, phrases that people are commonly using uh, every single day. Some people overusing them, as we see here in this play. How do you punch these lines? How do you how do you make them clear without being gratuitous in your uh, being gratuitous in your clarity? Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, I was actually thinking this is. I say it almost every time, but but any text uh, really. Uh, deserves a, a, a good deep read and this is one that I think it's more of the rhythm that that you really want to get down What it actually brought to mind is the uh, uh, Stop at Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead mm -hmm. when they're they have the the verbal uh, tennis match You, you need mm -hmm. to kind of get your rhythms down with one another to be subtle about them when you're going to be ironic about them being somewhat foreign like some of those Shakespeare as they are cliches, but you're just you know, discovering them for the first time. So for me, this is something that I, I think really studying kind of the pacing of the scene throughout would be fascinating. I wonder about uh, having the sort of punchline in the middle of, early middle part of the, the play, right? We figure out what the device is here mm -hmm. pretty early on and then it's just sort of played out. Um, does it still have the impact, do you think, that the uh, sort of play where you just find out on the last page what the... Yeah, you know, I, I think that uh, I think that in this part of 
part of the device is the anticipation of what of what they're going to drop next. You know, which which one? Uh, I, I see what you mean. And a lot of these short plays and uh, plays that we've read in this podcast series, especially, you get the the twist at the end. You know, and I I, I suppose that when you read enough uh, short plays, you come to expect that twist to come. But this one. It, it doesn't come. We we understand what's happening in the play, and it plays out. It's be a nice change of pace. Just mm-hmm. I, sure. I I think of it almost then like uh, an endurance gag versus a classic punchline gag. Mm-hmm. Sure, the, yeah. The classic punchline joke. You get to the end, or you reveal the punchline, and you're done. This is one, and, and I I don't mean. Um, uh, an endurance gag in a dismissive way because everyone's a little bit different it doesn't necessarily get old yes we know it's going to be a cliche but which cliche how far are we going to go uh i think maybe gives it a little bit of diversity in an otherwise very repetitious idea yeah it builds and uh, the relationship between the two prisoners changes throughout the play sure and and also i think you know it's important to uh remember that the uh the elliot is dropping these cliches He's without in the dark. intent, right? He's not, he doesn't mean to do it, and even after it's pointed out, he, he's oh in the dark. Okay, I got it. <laughs> but he he still is dropping these cliches, even when they're talking about not doing it anymore. Uh, they're bouncing that back and forth, which is the to use Jim's word again, the device. It's the humor. It's the humor in the device. Do you think it was fair in picking out those particular authors for? Derision. <laughs> Michael Crichton and uh, I, I definitely think there's some in there that are maybe a, a little more deserving than others. Uh, and as much as I love Dan Brown, it, it has turned into something of just the cotton candy of summer reads. It's, it's a Mad Lib set in Italy. Oh well, <laughs> wow. <laughs> what about uh, what about the the names of our characters here? Because we have we have Yates, uh, a a reference I'm assuming to William Butler Yeats, and then we have Eliot, who I'm assuming is T.S. Eliot, both of them poets, but I don't know Winfried off the top of my head. Either of you guys know one? No. Anybody in the room? Hell? No. No? no? Yeah. So, well, maybe there's something there. If you're listening... There in the show night. <laughs> yeah, let, uh, send us a message. Leave a comment. Uh, we'll, be, uh, we'll be interested in, in what you have to say about that. So I think, uh, you know, while we're talking about this playing out of the comedy here in the scene... Uh, we have to take into consideration the staging of the piece as well. Uh, if you don't have a if you don't have a budget by me by which I mean money is not an object, how do you envision this being played and the set that goes along with it? Seems pretty easy. A couple benches and sound effects for clanging door. Mm-hmm. I, I also wonder if if in this prison this jail cell there are uh, other nods to it. I would love to see. Now this is this is the set designer in me that I'd love to see some graffiti on the back wall you don't realize is another cliche or maybe a great quote in that original kind of poetry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Winnie Weedy Weeky or something like that, right? <laughs> Haikus just kind of written wherever. This is a really this is a blue or sorry this is a white collar jail. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, obviously. I I, I think also you know. Um, Earlier, we were mentioning, you know, how do you punch these lines without being too gratuitous in it? I think in the delivery also is, 
is a means in doing so. Uh, so not necessarily, you know, putting your hands behind your back and leaning towards the other person, wiggling your eyebrows and saying these sorts of things. But, you know, uh, Winfried in particular, I have this vision of him leaning back on the, you know, on the very uncomfortable looking cot or the board that's hung onto the wall with chains and just spouting it off with his hands uh, interlaced behind his uh, behind his head. Well, and, and for whatever reason, I think maybe early on it mentioned that they might be dressed a little bit nicer, but I also like the idea, what if it looks like it's straight out of Shawshank? So you're telling the audience not necessarily that it's this future or that... And so it, it, you're going to have that that turn being that puns are, are or cliches are illegal. I guess puns will be the sequel to this <laughs> ten minute play. Yeah, uh, cliches, but you know, along the lines of Shawshank, the poster, right? Yeah, it, yeah. You know, the holes behind the poster. You get that impression. Or uh, something that I wrote down uh, earlier is, what about giving Winfried a harmonica? What's yes. more cliche <laughs> than lying on lying in the jail cell? Right. Playing the harmonica. <laughs> All right, gentlemen. Well, I want to thank you for joining us here today. Uh, we want to make sure to thank Chris Holbrook for his awesome play, Sounds Like a Plan. And we want to make sure we also thank Lauren Watkins and Zodiac Productions for being here and recording us. Thank you very much to both of those folks. Make sure that you tune in. Tune in. That's not the right word. Uh, make sure that you hit that subscribe button uh, and leave us a review. We sure would appreciate that on iTunes. You can also find us on Podbean. That's our host site. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again next week for a new play every week here on the Best of All Possible Podcast. Bye-bye, everybody. Woo.